Thank you for joining us for episode two of The Only Way Is Up, where we battle out science and religion to figure out what is the best way to cure, yes, cure, anxiety. Today's episode, we are going to talk about signs, symptoms, and the science of it. Basically, we want to talk about uh, if you are somebody with anxiety, what you might be experiencing, and no, it's not all in your head. And obviously, if you experience these exhaustive list of symptoms, what are maybe some common things that you can do to kind of uh, to kind of help heal that? Now, the stuff that we are going to cover today is probably just the tip of the iceberg of symptoms that you can experience when having anxiety, whether that's anxiety for a specific event or thing or general anxiety disorder. Uh, however, uh, as we go through this this uh, series, we're going to have multiple episodes talking about um, not only symptoms of anxiety and diving into those even deeper, uh, but also um, possibly like getting very specific with with um, uh, certain symptoms. So, for example, if you are somebody that that suffers from like let's say body shakes or tremors or something like this or if you are somebody that gets you know angry or you have problems sleeping we're going to dive uh, more into those things and how you can maybe maybe fix those so um i am your host chris with me today is jack h and um we always have to throw the jack h on there and i don't know why it's it's normally just jack do, but do you want you want to you want to go with just jack well i i think just jack would be okay all right well you know he's a he's a real He's a real jack, so uh, so let's do that. So, exactly. And today we're going to talk. Chris is going to dive into the signs and symptoms of it. I'm going to hit on the science of it, and you know I'm going to speak a little bit. It's up to Chris if he wants to as well. But you know, what are some things that you know that I was dealing with, um, and you know what are some good things to do? What are some bad things to do? Uh, the first bad thing off the top of my head is do not go to WebMD. And if you did, you don't have a tumor or Parkinson disease. Yeah. Just, just take a deep breath and work your way away from WebMD. And Mayo Clinic, all of them. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all... They're all... <laughs> so. Well, the thing is, it's, it's a process. So to me, like, you know, I got a military up. Like, here's my problem. Put on your, your thinking hat and let's think our way through this and let's figure out a way out. Uh, to me, this is not something that we have to live with for the rest of our life. Uh, to me, it's something that we can identify what our triggers are. We can know what those triggers are. We can avoid those triggers from happening and we can live a full successful life. And we don't have to be constrained or owned by uh, our, our symptoms. Exactly. And, and the thing is, is that anxiety can manifest itself in Again, not only just a variety of different symptoms, but many of them of which are very physical. And as a disclaimer, if you are experiencing any kind of symptoms, whether it's physical, mental, whatever, you should get checked out by a doctor. Now, those that have health-related anxiety, also known as hypochondriasis, there's definitely a distrust in doctors when you, when you uh, have that particular form of anxiety. However, you should still seek professional attention because the internet is only going to serve to worsen your anxiety and they're only going to pop up the SEO symptoms. So yes, if you, if you, um, you know, Google, I'm trembling or shaking or something like that, you're going to get stuff like ALS and MS. You're not going to get what is very likely, uh, the real answer, which is just that it is anxiety, but you should always get checked out first because, um, just because you have anxiety doesn't mean you can't have something medically wrong with you either. And I want to I want to jump in real quick, and I want to say this: 
if any of you are having feelings of suicidal thoughts or anything like that, there are tons of things that you can do. There are suicide hotlines. Um, if you are a veteran, we have an awful statistic of 22 veterans a day roughly commit suicide. That's a horrible statistic. Um, but it's, it, it's not just veterans. What, what's, what's a horrible statistic that I just found out the other day, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but college freshmen, the first semester for college freshmen, has the highest suicide rate than any of the other students throughout their college career. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's brutal. And we, we, by the way, our offices are located near the College of William & Mary, and that has one of, I believe, the highest suicide rates of, I think, colleges in the United States, if I'm not mistaken, or certainly it's it's up there. Yeah, it's, um, it's a top problem. 10. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, uh, if, you, if you are experiencing any kind of serious depression, suicidal thoughts, anything like that, there are plenty of free resources. Please, please, please uh, seek some, some uh, help and guidance. Um, you know, the, these are, uh, you know, again, I, it goes without saying that, that this, this feeling will not last forever. You're just going through a really, really tough time. So, and, and you are not alone. No, by no means. <laughs> by uh, no means. There is what a, I believe, you know, 40 million diagnosed, you know, cases of anxiety and depression a year. Mental illness is a, is a unfortunately growing thing. Uh, however, it is also one of the easily or most easily treated so, you know, even those with treatment resistant anxiety and depression, there are things out there. And every day we are coming up with some some amazing uh, treatment plans and, and options. So, uh, you know, get get some help. Uh, let's go ahead and dive uh, just directly right into the symptoms. Uh, Jack, do you have anything else you want to add before I? No, no, absolutely. This? I'm ready to d- jump into this one. OK. So. All right. So signs and symptoms of anxiety. Again, I want to preface one more time that this list is is just the tip of the iceberg and th- there are so many different mental and physical things that you, you can experience. But here are a couple of, of uh, ones that, that are probably most easily relatable. So if you have unusual or illogical thoughts, uh, that is something that I personally experience. And, um, you know, basically if you find yourself throughout the day kind of getting, you know, having some brain fog and getting stumped and thinking weird things, you know, whether it's it's uh, violent, aggressive, or, or just intrusive thoughts in general, uh, that is a huge, huge sign of anxiety and potentially the real obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, a lot of people like to use the word, you know, OCD or I'm OCD, and they say it playfully, but they don't actually suffer from what is truly obsessive compulsive disorder. You know, somebody that likes to have a neat and tidy desk or office or or house, or they like to keep things clean and neat, that is not necessarily indicative of obsessive compulsive disorder. Obsessive compulsive disorder has a lot of telltale signs, such as you have certain rituals that you perform, you have um, prayers that you make, you have you you have to tap your pen five times before you can you know, talk into a microphone or you have to you know, flick a light switch on and off seven times before you can drive out of your house. These are the kinds of things that, that uh, have obsessive compulsive disorder tendencies. And for that matter, hypochondriasis is very closely linked to, to uh, OCD as well. Now that is not to say that if you like to have a neat and tidy office that you can't also be OCD, but the real definition of OCD is not what most people colloquially use the term for. So um, so intrusive thoughts are a huge, huge anxiety uh, signal. 
uh, unreasonable anger or irritability. And I think, Jack, this is one that you, I think, <laughs> yeah. suffer from. <laughs> this one is uh, uh, very close to me yeah. right here. Um, basically, if you find yourself driving in traffic or communicating or socializing with people, and all of a sudden you just kind of just feel that anger burning and welling up inside, that is a very good sign of anxiety as well. Anxiety is a fight, flight, or freeze response. And some people get fight, some people get flight, and other people get freeze. So uh, when you are when you are feeling anger or irritable, that is very generally the fight aspect of anxiety, and is a uh, definitely a big um, you know a big red flag on that. Poor concentration and memory, not being able to follow a conversation. Uh, this is also a big one. Um, basically, this will will kind of go hand in hand with with symptoms like brain fog. In general, when you are feeling anxious, your body is your your, your body is getting flooded with all kinds of, of, of basically of a cocktail of chemicals, namely cortisol, uh, adenosine, you know, all of the stress components that you can think of. And when you are feeling anxious, your your body isn't wired to concentrate on something like let's call it you know educational. So if you're in class and you're having trouble concentrating on, like, let's say, what the professor is saying, that's because your body is basically telling you, well, I don't need to concentrate on a math problem. I need to get the hell out of here, or I need to fight something, or I, I need to be you know, looking over my shoulder because something bad is about to happen. So, so brain fog, poor concentration, bad memory, these are all, all big symptoms of anxiety, stuff that I went through a lot, uh, certainly in the beginning. So that's, and actually that's, on the flip side of it, uh, my primary care physician, uh, because I'm retired military, was asking about my number of concussions that I've had. And unfortunately, I didn't know this, but apparently uh, but before the military, during the military, and after the military, we, we rounded it and figured it out that it's probably anywhere from 10 to 12 concussions I've had. That's a, that's a good amount. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, apparently that's a bad thing. Um, I don't know. Um, so, the, you know, they were thinking that, you know, maybe there was some TBI, stuff like that. So, you know, I had a brain scan done with the MRI. Um, then I worked with a speech person, but it wasn't for, not that I can't articulate my thoughts, but it is for to understand where this is coming from. You know, I, I, I would go play golf with my friends and we would have a conversation on the golf course. And that night we're out having dinner. And he's like, oh, yeah, remember we talked about it today. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I have no idea what he said. And I ch- and I did the same thing with my wife, but I thought it was one of those things like husband and wife. Like your wife says like a million things to you and you can't remember everything. I love you, sweetheart, but I just want to throw <laughs> that out there, right? Um, but it, it's, it's a real thing. And what I've come to learn and find out is that anxiety and depression affect uh, memory retention just the same as a concussion or TBI. Not to say that all the different malaria pills I took in the military didn't, you know, help the situation, but I just wanted to share that as well. And, and you know, the reason why that is a thing, by the way, there's a few few aspects behind that, but when your body is constantly flooded with stress, you are shrinking your hypothalamus and also having a, it has a direct impact on your prefrontal cortex. These are all 
you know, sort of components of the brain that allow you to to have good concentration and memory. And, and these things are getting physically affected by the cocktail of chemicals in your in your body. So the good news is it is reversible. So once you get your anxiety under control, you can start to do certain things to get your your, your brain kind of cleared out and, and uh, improving your concentration and memory again. So if you are having these kinds of effects, it is not permanent. Also, there is a link, there's a correlation to TBIs and anxiety. There are a few theories as to why that is, some of which is not to mention inflammation in the brain or amygdala because of a head injury, or the fact that when you have a head injury and it causes problems, that it could potentially cause anxiety because you have all these issues from, you you have all these symptoms from a head injury, and that just in, in and of itself can cause anxiety. So there's a few different ways that anxiety can be linked to a TBI. Now, this one is getting into the sort of mental sphere of, of, uh, of anxiety symptoms, but hearing sounds or voices that nobody else can hear. Now, we need to really make the distinction between this and something like schizophrenia, which, um, funny enough, I, when, when I was having my anxiety attacks in the very beginning, I thought that I was becoming schizophrenic, and I also thought that I was starting to hear things that either weren't there, didn't exist, et cetera, and so forth. If you feel like you are hearing, a, basically having a conversation with somebody or somebody is talking to you and nobody else in the room can hear it and it is as clear as day and it feels external. So not that it is like a whisper in your head or or something that is, is happening kind of inside, like kind of like, you know, when you sing a tune to yourself or you sing a song to yourself and you kind of hear that in your head. If you are hearing something externally, that is generally a sign of something like schizophrenia and people with schizophrenia can of course have anxiety and vice versa however it is fairly easy to diagnose schizophrenia that is also something that doesn't pop up in men or women at a later age i believe with women it's like maybe like early 30s and with men it's i think like early to mid 20s when schizophrenia starts to kind of rear its head obviously you can also have it when you are much younger in your teens and even before that however uh, generally speaking if you are past 30 years old as a male or female likely you are not going to be getting schizophrenia that is not to say it is impossible it is just incredibly unlikely now if you are hearing things however and they're kind of internal understand that when you are in the fight flight or freeze mode namely in this case it's probably going to be more like fight or freeze you are going to be so fixated on sounds and things around you because that's what anxiety does. It's it's trying to gain your, your attention to everything to make sure that you're safe. So you could very well be hearing things um, that either A, aren't there, but B, you're just, your brain is filling in the blanks. So I was hearing things, but again, not externally. I do not have schizophrenia, but I was I, I thought that I was hearing things and really what it was is I was just so hyper aware of every single time a water drop came out of the sink, every time my my washing machine or dryer stopped, you know, spinning or making a noise. And and to me, I, I, my brain was taking shortcuts to say, okay, well, this is a sound coming from somewhere. This is somebody talking to you. Um but it really, but it really wasn't. It was just anxiety rearing its ugly head and and uh, making me think that I had something you know wrong with me that that wasn't. Anxiety can almost mask itself as if you if you're anxious about something, 
it can almost mask all those symptoms to a T. It is unbelievable how how ugly and effective anxiety can be. So, uh, so again, schizophrenia is very easily diagnosed. If you are hearing things, you should try to talk to a psychiatrist. However, understand that your hyper awareness can definitely be a big impact on you know again hearing noises and things so jack do you have anything you want to interject uh, before we move on no i just think it's in it, it's extremely powerful how <clears throat> excuse me the human brain is so powerful that it will come up with things and manifest itself in a physical nature yeah right like you you know and chris will talk about this but it'll feel like a burning sensation in your leg, mm -hmm. right? There's no one holding a lighter to you. You weren't bit by some extravagant bug or anything like that. It was. It's just something in your brain is manifesting that to be real. Yeah, it, it's true. And, and, it, and it really is. The brain is an incredibly powerful thing. And it is wired, genetically wired, to be able to take shortcuts on things. So when you are feeling anxious, your brain is trying to fill in the blanks uh, because it, it's it, it's it's using it as a safety mechanism and and um you know it can fill in those blanks in a very unproductive dangerous way <laughs> for 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 lack of a better description uh let's go ahead and uh, dive into low appetite uh or decreased sleep so uh, obviously if you're not sleeping well and not eating well these are ways that you can cause anxiety but anxiety can also cause a lack of appetite for that matter it can also cause an, an increased appetite people that stress eat for example that is a very big thing usually that is a a case where um, your brain is just hunting for some dopamine so food typically gives you that very quick uh, dopamine hit especially foods that are high in sugar and processed saturated fats things like that now of course those are all things you want to avoid when you have anxiety but nevertheless that's what your brain is is, uh, is craving and then, of course, as far as sleep is concerned, people with depression typically just want to lay around and do nothing all day. They just don't have the energy. Whereas a lot of times I've experienced that people with anxiety have a decrease in sleep because they're just so amped up and so stressed that they find it hard to fall asleep and stay asleep. Uh, these are topics that we are definitely going to dive in in future episodes. Uh, however, uh, the uh, needless to say, if you have uh, both an increase and uh, decrease in sleep and appetite. Those are key, key elements of, of uh, stress and anxiety. Next up on our list is a lack of motivation. That one is something that we talked about a little bit with depression, but that can certainly affect those with anxiety as well. Uh, it's hard to get motivated when you are feeling anxious or depressed. I mean, at the end of the day, when, when you're not feeling like yourself uh, or you're stressed or hyped up or whatever it is, it's hard to want to do things. Um, certainly in the beginning of, of when my anxiety was really bad, uh, I, you know, wanted to just sort of crawl up in a ball, lay on the couch and do all of, of, of nothing. But uh, it, again, it does get better. And once you get your anxiety under control, that lack of motivation uh, goes right back to where, uh, where it needs to be. Uh, I found that a cold shower is one of the best ways to give yourself a massive dopamine hit and also increase your motivation and wake you up a bit. We are going to talk in excess of cold showers uh, later on, uh, but suffice to say, cold showers are a great, great thing for that. Withdrawing from people. Again, big thing with depression, but can happen with anxiety as well. 
fact is, is you just don't want to be around people because you're not feeling good. And that is ultimately the, what, what depression and anxiety can do to you is they can just make you feel like garbage. So as a result, you're not going to want to be around your friends and your family and you will withdraw. You will sometimes stay at home. A big component of people with really bad anxiety is uh, agoraphobia where they, where they stay at home and never leave the house and also find it very hard to communicate and talk with people. In fact, that is probably a more common uh, anxiety symptom than is than should be. But withdrawal and agoraphobia are a, a major, major component of anxiety and also one of the hardest to break. However, it is definitely possible to break it, and we will talk about that as well. Drug use. People will, of course, try to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. And Jack, I'll actually go ahead and let you take, take the reins on this drug use one. Yeah, so I, I was... Never a drug use guy. I don't smoke uh, the occasional cigars. However, due to my family lineage, as Chris likes to say, you know, my white trash lineage from <laughs> Western North Carolina. Y- yes, I-, I did have moonshine before I ever had cold medicine. You know, I- he was bottle fed moonshine. <laughs> yeah, I, it, I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> you know, it, it it's I, I wouldn't say that I w- increased my drinking. Um, because I've always had like a high tolerance. Uh, but for me, it was nothing to have six or seven drinks and, but only feel like I've only had like two. Right. Um, and, and it was crazy because I wasn't doing it because I was trying to hide some feelings. Mine kind of, uh, mine was weird. Um, I, I would have, you know, I, I'll talk about this later episodes, but there was a certain nightmare that I would have for 15 to 16 years. Um, you know, that was the only thing I knew that there was something not right because I kept having that recurring dream, but I, I didn't think anything of it. And it was uh, when it was funny, you know, when I finally got diagnosed with PTSD, my oldest daughter, who is a sociology and psychology major, she's like, yeah, dad, we've, we've known for years. Um, <laughs> and my wife is just like, yeah, there, you know, if you want to label, there you go. Um, but you know, I wasn't crazy. It was just, and unfortunately I hate to say it, but it was my level that they dealt with. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and oddly enough, since I've had the diagnosis, my alcohol consumption has dropped way down. Like it, it you know, like I, if, if I have two drinks a week, that's a shock, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't want to get this into like, stop drinking, you're an alcoholic, stop smoking, you're addicted to it. You, you know, I am not one who, who is a fan of narcotics. I'm just not mm. because I don't like losing control of my body. I don't like thought process and stuff. So that's kind of how I feel on it. But I don't, you got to do you, right? I just think, you know, when it gets to excess, anything to excess is when you need to pay attention. It's it's true, and that's great advice. And the, the the effect that these things have on your brain, you know, let's talk, you know, whether it's cocaine or alcohol, you know, people talk about how anxiety is a serotonin imbalance, but there's a big component of dopamine, and alcohol and drugs affect your dopamine system greatly. So as a result, when you do things like binge drinking, and then all of a sudden the next day you wake up with that nice little hangover. That is not just, of course, your body being dehydrated and lacking electrolytes, but it is also a huge decrease in your dopamine. And that will also increase anxiety and also 
increase a lack of motivation and make things very difficult for you. So uh, truly, if you are having anxiety or depression, please, please, please stop self-medicating. And, uh, you know, we're not trying to yuck anybody's yum here. You know, recreational use of these things can be fun, but it's not good for you and it will not help you heal. You need to stop. If you want to heal your anxiety, you really got to stop the drugs and the alcohol. Uh, feeling that life is not worth living or more serious uh, suicidal thoughts. You know, again, we kind of gave a little caveat about that earlier. But, of course, that is a big, big thing with, with anxiety. And I'm sorry, with depression. And there is definitely a thing called anxious depression. Basically, when your anxiety gets so bad that you start getting depressed, anxiety and depression hold hands pretty, pretty tightly. I mean, they're, they're good friends. And, you know, ultimately, if you feel anxious for an extended period of time, that can affect your, your dopamine and, and increase things like depression, which then can increase suicidal thoughts. Because after all, if you're not feeling well, tends to be that you don't want to live anymore. So uh, certainly try to get your anxiety and depression under control uh, if you are feeling any kind of suicidal thoughts. Becoming obsessed with a topic like death or religion, um, or again, intrusive thoughts in general. That is a big component of OCD, intrusive thoughts. Um, however, these are definitely things that, that are components of anxiety is when you have an intrusive thought or something that you just kind of obsess over. Because again, obsessive compulsive disorder, the true disorder is a form of, um, I, would, I would call it like a subset of anxiety. And um, people tend to, they, when they become anxious about something, they, they uh, turn to these rituals that then become obsessive or compulsive. And uh, when you become obsessed and have intrusive thoughts, those are a very, very big key to, to anxiety. When I, everybody, I think, has intrusive thoughts to a degree. You know, there's always going to be something when you're going about your day and something pops in your head that you don't like uh, or, or that, that's weird. You know, something that's not necessarily your personality. Such as, this is going to sound really bad, but I'm just going to throw this out here as, a, as a, an example. You are riding your car down the road and there is a guy on a bicycle and you think to yourself what would happen if i just ran into that guy <laughs> just a little nudge just a little nudge <laughs> that is an intrusive thought and one that probably most people have had however the reason why an intrusive thought like that doesn't bother you is in the same way that if i said the world is going to end in five minutes it doesn't bother you because you don't believe it well, you know that you're not going to hit that guy on the bike, so it doesn't bother you. So it's in, while it's an intrusive thought, it's, it's benign. And that's what we want to make all of your intrusive thoughts, the ones that do scare you and do have an impact on you. And again, that's a real big thing when it comes to people with like health anxiety, but also people that have intrusive thoughts based on sex, religion, whatever it is, that their spouses. Uh, we want to make sure, we want to get to the point where we can reframe these things to where you are no longer... Uh, afraid of these intrusive thoughts um, and that is how you disarm them not looking after personal hygiene or other responsibilities now these can be a key ingredient along by the way along with with uh, sleep and manic manic episodes those can be a key ingredient of things like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder so if you find yourself withdrawing from society and having real problems with personal hygiene and responsibilities then you are hearing things uh, or, or have going through prolonged episodes of no sleep but but super high energy while these can be symptoms of anxiety they can also be symptoms of something more serious so please get looked after by a psychiatrist uh, but those are definitely key components of depression and anxiety um, and then not performing 
as well at school or work. That definitely goes hand in hand with poor concentration and memory. And then last but not least, let's talk about um, just, I think, general pain and the physical symptoms of anxiety. Anxiety can manifest itself in uh, jelly legs, basically, like when you feel like your legs are just trembling and shaking. Muscle spasms, tremors, the, 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 the list goes on. Pain in your neck and your back, um, soreness, and inflammation throughout the body. These are all things that anxiety can, can cause. And that's because, again, your body is just getting flooded with, with a cocktail of stress chemicals, which cause inflammation. And um, things like long-term pain, such as that, like, let's say you do have a, a sensation uh, in your back, neck, or leg, or arm, whatever it is, and it just won't go away no matter what you do. Believe it or not, that could be a sign that you've just got something in your nervous system that's, you know, wanting to get out, but it just can't. And, and thus, um, you know, long-term pain uh, builds up and is created in your body. So pain is definitely a huge component of anxiety as well. Again, all things that we are going to go over in more detail. That about wraps up, I think, our sort of initial sort of signs and symptoms of anxiety. Uh, Jack, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? I, no, I think we're going to circle around at the end, yeah. uh, back to it, but not right now. No. Okay. And on that note, let's go ahead and take a break, and we will be back really soon. All right, we are back. Now, we are going to talk about the science of it. Uh, I'll go ahead and let Jack take over, but basically what we're going to talk about is how science, basically the science of anxiety and how, again, some of these symptoms, how they can correspond to it and why they are happening. So Jack, take it away. Okay. Now for this, we are going to turn to our uh, disorders Bible, as it were. That is the quintessential DSM-5. And, you know, it's a handbook published by the American Psychiatric Association, uh, and it's used by health professionals to identify and diagnose mental illnesses because I will tell you the DSM-5 will quickly turn out to be the WebMD for disorders it absolutely if is. you're looking at it <laughs> with an uneducated eye yeah. right so when I say this it's used by health professionals to help identify and diagnose mental illnesses you're you could have anxiety and depression linked to PTSD you could have anxiety and depression linked to to another disorder like they all share commonalities so just because you're like oh that's it that's me i've got it it's not it um we really need a professional to figure out what's going on i i'd like to i'm sorry to interject here but basically like when i thought that i was going schizophrenic and again it, it, saying it now it just sounds absolutely crazy but uh, when I thought that I was becoming schizophrenic, when I was going through the, the initial wave of anxiety, I could literally check off like half of the symptoms of schizophrenia that the DSM-5 listed and, and those were happening to me. But of course, I am not schizophrenic. So yeah, I mean, he's right. It can very quickly become the WebMD of, of, uh, of handbooks. So. So, so I caution you, you know, have it. You can refer to it. You can look through after your uh, health professional has said, hey, this is what I think you are. It's, it's a good resource, you know, to good, you know, go and look for it. And, and what's crazy about mental disorders is the smallest things can have the biggest change, right? Like go eat a salad once a week, right? <laughs> just, and, and just from the vitamins and everything that you're getting and the essential minerals, that changes like the compounds and everything else that's happening that's going on in your body. And you're doing something that's healthy, 
Now, there's over 300 mental disorders listed in the DSM-5. We're not going to go through all 300. That's, and they're still popping up today. They're, they're spider webbing off. So uh, I'm a veteran uh, going through the VA. I got diagnosed as P of having PTSD from a psychiatrist. When I was going through my VA, the VA psychiatrist. Now, just a little background. My grandfather was in the Marine Corps during World War II. And he was on the initial beach landing of Iwo Jima. And he joined the Marine Corps with his lifelong best friend that he grew up with. They both were in the boat together. They both landed on the beach in Iwo Jima. And if everybody knows their history, that first wave was cut off for six, several hours due to tides and reinforcements and all kinds of stuff. So they were basically stuck on this beachhead in like this dugout hole. Um, and all of a sudden, a grenade lands in their hole. My grandfather's buddy rolls on top and dies, right? And he spent the next 36 hours with his best friend laying right there. So, you know, at the end of the war, you know, after that was over, uh, he was able, he spent three days in a hospital with back then they called it shell shock, right? Um, nowadays, we know that it is PTSD. He got out of the Marine Corps, late 80s. He started having uh, some health things. He started having some strokes, and he wound up taking his own life because he didn't want to be a financial burden on the family because he grew up during the Depression. My VA psychiatrist tried to tell me that since my grandfather committed suicide from what he dealt with, that made me genetically prone to PTSD. And how the how is that even possible? Like I, I and I don't and you know so that's why you even have to be careful about the doctors that you go to and sorry another interjection here there is uh substantial evidence that uh jewish families that suffered through the holocaust their offspring suffered suffers from increased anxiety and ptsd from something that never even happened to them however it is there is a a big genetic component to mental illness again solvable but a thing that needs to be be um on people's radar i mean ultimately right um so and let's be honest with you i mean we have some extremely smart people out there and they have mapped out the human brain they've done all these things and research is just light years away from where it was just five years ago but they still don't know what's causing it they, you know two people can witness a car accident one person is like that's awful. I feel bad for them. The other one refuses to ever drive a car again. Yeah. There's nothing, there's no rhyme or reason to it. So, you know, it, it, it's all about how your brain works, how your brain perceives what you're seeing, what you're going through. But it's also based on how you grew up, the environment, your social group, your culture, your life experiences. All of these things factor into it. And obviously, we talked about it earlier. Drug and alcohol abuse can trigger a manic episode if you have bipolar, if you are bipolar, um, or an episode of psychosis. You know, drugs such as cocaine, marijuana, amphetamines can cause paranoia. And if, and if you have anxiety and, and you couple that with with an illicit drug and create paranoia on top of it, 
Like you're just compounding the situation yep. and making it worse. Then there's some biological factors. Uh, your any medical conditions, hormonal changes, you know, early life environment. You know, you might have had a negative childhood experience such as abuse or neglect that can also risk some mental illnesses. Uh, trauma and stress in adulthood, traumatic life events or ongoing stress such as social isolation, uh, domestic violence or relationship breakdown. Now, for me, I will say that my time in the military is more kind to what first responders, law enforcement and EMS and firefighters deal with. Um, I, I, I dealt with a whole bunch of bodies. Um, and you know, a, a lot of you are not old enough to remember this, but in 1997, TWA crashed off of Montauk Long Island, TWA 800. Um, and our boat was second on scene. We got there four hours after it went down and we spent seven weeks picking up plane pieces, body pieces, and all types of stuff like that. So for me to sit here and say, well, that had absolutely zero bearing on how things turned out in my life. I, there's no way I could say that. But I would say that there's people on the boat that had immediate issues with dealing with that scene, which I did not. And there's some that even to this day, it's probably not even a blip on their radar, yeah. right? Um, it just affects people differently. Tra trauma can exist in somebody's body for 30 years, for decades. And that's it's not an uncommon thing that somebody witnessed a traumatic thing as a child and 30 years later they start getting panic attacks and having you know horrible horrible anxiety uh, it is very very much a thing that that trauma can just exist and get unlocked at a later date uh, or you suffer with it for 30 years uh, so yeah it's it's um and it's true why some people can deal with it and others can't we we just really don't know and and you know and when we're talking about the brain and the disorders it's not like a doctor can just do a blood test and go, oh, yeah, you, you have lupus, yeah. right? Or, or something like that, right? There, there's none of that. Um, they can do brain scans for, you know, maybe if you got a TBI, which also causes anxiety and depression or whatever, you know. But like I said earlier, like I have, I've had the brain scans. Like it's clear. So, you know, then we got to go back to, okay, so it's the anxiety, it's the depression that's causing these you know, in yeah. the brain fog that Chris was talking about earlier. But, but the one thing they do is they, they really do, and I've gone through a battery of these uh, assessments. Um, and they're not easy. They're, they're more redundant uh, than they are anything. It just it feels like you're getting the same question like 35 times. But you're not because they're tracking it, and they can actually put it through an analysis and figure out, like, you know, what, what, where you are. Um, but it also, it, it, it does, you know, the questions include about your thoughts, your mood, and your behaviors. And I'm going to be honest with you, like, I had my wife drive me up. Like, it's it's about 45 minutes from here. My wife actually went with me so she could drive back because it's so mentally exhausting to go through it. Um, but on the, the, the outside or the end of, you know, the race that you're going through, the grass is so much greener. So all of this is, is so much worth it. You know, some different mental illnesses described in the DSM-5, you know, there, there's, there's all, 
I, I just can't even get into like the different categories. I think there's 20 different, if I remember reading it right, 20 different categories. Um, and again, psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, you know, uh, other specialists, therapists, those are the ones that you really need to get with and talk to. Because ultimately, the number one thing is mental Ill- illness is treatable. And most people with mental illness recover to live productive and happy lives. Um, and, and we should really specify again that anxiety and depression, well, specifically anxiety, is one of the, if not the easiest of all the mental disorders to solve. Of course, if you have something like schizophrenia, there is no known cure. However, there are ways to put it into remission. Um, but anxiety is a very much a curable thing. And one thing that I really hated hearing in the beginning was that anxiety cannot be cured because it is not a uh, an acute disorder like a cold or flu. But that is bullshit. It can be cured. <laughs> uh, so if a doctor tells you otherwise, find a new doctor. And I'm being I'm being real serious about that. But anyway, uh, no, and that's awesome. I'm so glad Chris brought that up because to me. There are so many doctors and therapists out there. It's kind of like buying a new car, right? <laughs> like you're not just going to show up in the dealership a, and a say, used car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like just hand me the keys to something and let me give you some money and I'll drive away. And then I'll complain about it later because I didn't like the style, the color, <laughs> you know, like it, it, it rides horrible. Right. So find someone that's there for you. Um, a, a, a good therapist is, it's like finding a good hair, a hairdresser. I mean, you, you need somebody that you jive with and have good, good chemistry with. So, so, you know, and, and there are several, several different types of therapy, you know, uh, you can do cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, you can do psychodynamic therapy, interpersonal therapy, group, couple, family therapy. It, 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 it is limitless. Um, medicines. You know, well, the most commons are the antidepressants, which can be used for anxiety and depression. Then you have mood stabilizers used for uh, bipolar disorder. And then you had antipsychotic medicines were used for schizophrenia and psychosis. Uh, again, I am not the normal person. I, for the military, all the years I was in, all the different drugs we took and everything else, I am not a, a, a drug person and I don't want to introduce that into my body. So I use a thing called essential oils. One of my wife's friends sells this fragrant lavender. I don't know what all stuff they put in this cauldron and make, but uh, all I know is it has like a little roller ball and I put it behind my ears and I put it in my hand. I smell it. And all of a sudden the red tint goes away and I don't feel like, <laughs> beating people up, right? <laughs> I'm trying to say this really nicely here. Feel so, less angry. <laughs> yes, less angry. That's what I was looking for. Um, and But, you know, a lot of things help, especially, you know, like lifestyle changes. Exercise is known to help or prevent anxiety and depression. There is a uh, ex- exercise is known. Um, and again, if you exercise every day, you know, which you should be if you have anxiety, uh, you'll, you'll feel these effects, but exercise has the same, literally the identical effects of an SSRI. So you cannot understate the importance of exercise when you are feeling depressed or anxious. It really is. Um, if you don't want to get on medicine, then your next best option is to exercise. So, yeah, I, I, 
I don't really get on like the whole Facebook, Instagram and all that stuff. Like I have it and every once in a while I'll glance on it. But there's this guy that I follow on Instagram. Gorgeous looking dude. Big gym dude, long blonde hair, beard, looks like a Viking and all that. Fabio. But what's amazing about it is basically the premise of what he says nonstop is go to the gym. Yeah. Go to the gym. <laughs> you feel bad. Bad day. Go to the gym. You know, and, and uh, you know, this isn't an ad for him. But I like what he's trying to say. It's like, oh, are you trying to look for the next new weightlifting powder or energizer to get you going? Oh, well, you take two scoops of shut your mouth and go to the gym, <laughs> right? So, you know, that's it right there. Uh, and that's kind of me. That's what I've done. Go out, go for a walk. Uh, if you live it by yourself, a, a family, uh, a pet becomes a family member, you know, look to get a dog. Service dogs are doing amazable, amazing things right now out there. Yeah, distractions are basically anything that you can do to get your mind off of anxiety. Not just off of the thing that you are anxious about, but off of anxiety in general will, will greatly help you in your, in your healing journey. Um, so if there are things, you know, whether that's gardening, getting a pet, taking care of f- friends, families, neighbors, doing, doing service work, whatever, these are definitely ways that you can help. Um, you know, help increase or, or, or help heal your anxiety. And again, we really can't hammer down enough. Exercise is just as effective as an SSRI, uh, which is just one of the medicines, uh, types of medicines that will be described for something like anxiety or depression. And those that have treatment resistant anxiety or depression, and that is a thing, there are SNRIs. There are also a new class of drugs that I believe insurance companies are classifying as SSRIs. However, they are not. They are their own thing. Um, I don't remember the name of it and don't have an example of, of a name. I am not a psychiatrist, uh, but there's a new class of medications coming out. Uh, there is electromagnetic therapy. Uh, there is uh, also anti-anxiolytic medications such as Buspar, Buspirone, Wellbutrin, uh, drugs like this. So um, if the first pill doesn't work for you, and it most likely will not, Lexapro did not work for me, but Zoloft worked wonders. Uh, if the first pill does not work for you, there is a second option, third option, fourth option, etc., and so forth. It can be very painful, daunting, and demoralizing finding that right pill for you, but it probably is out there if you need to get on medication. So I think, you know, we're just going to kind of wrap this up. Um, we, we've, uh, we've thrown a lot at you. If any of these things are affecting you, any of the signs or the symptoms that Chris talked about in the beginning that, you know, that we were bringing to the table, you know, let somebody know. Yeah, please don't internalize it and keep it to yourself. Let somebody know, open up to people, get help. It's, it's, a, it's an important thing for sure. You shouldn't have to suffer needlessly at the end of the day. Yep, and even, it, you know, someone that you trust a guidance counselor at your school, a teacher at your school, or if you're at college or your workplace, somebody. Open up to somebody and just say, you know what? I've been dealing with this. I can't do this alone. I need help. Help point me in the next direction. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's what it takes. It takes a friend or it takes a colleague to kind of say like, hey, my cousin had this great person therapist that she spoke to and I can get her number and you it's a free consult just give her a call just kind of talk and sometimes that's all we need because you know we're human beings right it's, it's especially 
men more than women, but men think, oh, it's just a phase of my life. It'll be okay. I'll get through this. Or, you know, if you grew up in the, the South, then it's, you know, you need to be a man and just, just bury it down. You know, I heard that in the military several times, you know, bury it down, bury it down and, and it'll be all right. But some, the problem is, is when you bury it down so much, you're creating Pandora's box and eventually Pandora's box is going to open up and you can't close it. Yeah. Which yeah. is what happened with me. So, yeah. uh, we will go ahead and take a short break. And, uh, when we come back, we will have a little round table discussion and then talk about tactics and methods that you can use to maybe help heal these anxiety symptoms. We'll be back soon. All right. And we are back with episode two of the only way is up. We're now going to go ahead and jump into a round table discussion regarding uh, anxiety and, and maybe how you can figure out what's wrong with you, maybe what kind of anxiety you have, or, or for that matter, come uh, how you can sort of determine the issues that you are having. So Jack, take it away. So I, I just kind of want to circle back, uh, to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago. And that is, you know, if you want to make a change, you need to make a lifestyle change. You know, exercise, I, I can't say it any other way. It is the greatest thing on the earth. If you want to clean out the cobwebs, if you want to just, you know, exert energy and get a good sweat and physically and mentally just kind of like drain and reset your system, like that's the way to go. Uh, Obviously, you know, it's not going to prevent anxiety or depression. What we're doing is we're using it as a tool to help calm it down. Obviously, you know, if you're, if you're really having some strong bouts uh, with what you're dealing with, you know, avoiding uh, drugs and alcohol is it's kind of the smart thing to do. Uh, also, you know what? The best way to clean your body is from the inside out. So not only with the exercise, but what are you eating? What are you taking in? I find myself... <laughs> on the couch with a pint of Ben and Jerry's, right? And um, washing it down with a Mountain Dew and then finishing off with a Mr. Good Bar, right? Like, and then, and then I'm pissed and upset because I'm like, I'm 260 pounds, right? Like trying to figure that out. And it doesn't take like a Bring genius. Mass, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I'm no longer 260 pounds <laughs> and I eat right. And it has done so much. Uh, the working out, I, I can't stress enough. He's now 259.4. Exactly. And I see a huge difference, right? Um, but no, four easy words, go to the gym. Uh, if you don't want to go to the gym, you don't want to deal. And I got to be honest with you, I'm, I turned 50 this summer. I have been through my days of going to the gym and years in the military and stuff like that. And I, I just don't want to deal with the, the knuckleheads. You know, um, there, there are beach muscles that look all nice and cute. <laughs> um, and I just don't do it. So I have like my own thing at my office and I've got weights in there and I do train some other people. So I, I don't need to, but if you don't have any of that and you don't want to deal with anything in the gym, go for a walk. It's yeah. not a big deal. Just no, go outside. Walking is, is very, uh, super important with, with, um, you know, healing anxiety, like whether it's walking meditation or just getting that heart rate up slightly, but just moving forward and moving those legs that is enough to give the effects of, of a light SSRI right there. So yeah, walk, walking is, is uh, super important. Um, sleep, another thing. Yep. You got you got to get good sleep. Uh, there is so much data to show that your amygdala is firing on all fours when it is fatigued and and you know and, and when you are tired. So you got to get good sleep. 
Um, we will have an episode on healing anxiety, but just some, I, I want to give a couple of book recommendations for, for those that are, you know, looking to kind of shortcuts, not the right word, cause there is no shortcut per se, but for those that are interested and, and feel that they can go down the path of healing their anxiety, one is called the dare response. Fantastic book. Uh, I believe the author's name is Barry McDonough or something along those lines. But uh, anyway, The Dare Response, really, really great book, uh, which is sort of a practical CBT method. Another one is a book called Feeling Great, which is by um, David Burns, I believe it is. He's sort of the grandfather of grandfather of CBT. Really, really great book, and will teach some very, very helpful exercises on reframing and stuff like that. And then in general, when... To, to talk about the science of, of anxiety, you know, again, it's your amygdala that's wreaking havoc with you. You, you gotta, you know, anxiety is a state of mind. And, you know, there's interesting, you know, research to just come out of Stanford University that depression and anxiety is not the cause of a chemical imbalance, but simply neurons firing together in an inappropriate way. Now, whether you believe that or not is, you know, is up to you, but... Ultimately, anxiety, depression, these are states of mind and they, they can be changed. It's hard. Some people will suffer, suffer with it for a long, long time, but it is possible to rewire your amygdala. I think a future podcast would be a definitions podcast of all the three-letter things that you've been throwing out like sure. nonstop. <laughs> uh, CBT and everything else. I know CBT and stuff because I've been going through therapy. But for those of you who have not been going through therapy and amygdala, you've got people going through the you know their Webster's Dictionary right now <laughs> online trying to figure out what part of the body we're talking about here. So the, the, other, the other thing that really makes anxiety tough is it's one thing when you're afraid of flying in planes or elevators or something like this. But when you have a general anxiety disorder, that really adds a, a whole new layer of complication on top of things. And, you know, Jack, I, I, would you consider yourself somebody that has general anxiety disorder, like in the sense that um, there is not a particular trigger or... A absolutely. Uh, you know, I have fast roped out of helicopters from 120 feet in the air, mm -hmm. you know, uh, repelled out of off of buildings and everything like that. And I've done some, some cool stuff, swam with sharks. Uh, but, you know, since I retired, this has come on to me. I don't believe I had it before I retired, or if I did, I was just so busy doing other stuff anyway. Kind of was like a distraction, basically. Correct. Yeah. Um, and... And you're right. It is a general thing because I can't put my finger on one thing that it is that has got me nervous or has got me worried. It's just all of a sudden I get triggered and it's just like, oh, crap, I don't feel good about this situation. Yeah. And it's not a safety and security type of thing. It's a, do I have my office keys? Like, where are they? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, they're right there in my truck. But you start getting kind of panicked. Like, I forgot them and I drove up here, but, you know, I have a meeting in like 10 minutes and now I... When all I had to do was just walk back to my truck. Yeah. And little things like that. Yeah. And, and I would say that I have general, by all accounts, have general anxiety disorder as well. Uh, you know, it, it is it is a thing and it, it can. You can just get it, you know, one day. I mean, you know, I didn't have it for 34 years of my life. And then one day just clicked and, and there it was. So, uh, and then another layer to complicate things are those with panic disorder. By definition, the, the um, uh, DSM-5 calls panic disorder... Think it's you have to have a certain amount of panic attacks within the span of six months and that by the way i think that is also the same with general anxiety disorder it's something where 
uh, you have to have non-provoked anxiety within the, the course of six to 12 months, something along those lines. The de- definition doesn't really matter. Suffice to say that if you're having panic disorder on top of general anxiety disorder, which means that you are prone to panic attacks, we all know how absolutely horrifying and uncomfortable those are. Uh, however, uh, you know, again, whether it's GAD, panic disorder, this is definitely a solvable thing. Um, there's a lot of research to show that ketogenic diets are really, really helpful with mental disorders. Uh, there's a lot of research showing that it helps things like schizophrenia as well as, as, well as um, uh, bipolar disorder, seizures. However, if you are uh, feeling depressed or anxious, maybe give a ketogenic diet a try. And no, that doesn't mean, you know, slice into a pack of butter, you know, every day. <laughs> but... You know, have some some greens, have some some fish, uh, you know, some good clean food and just try to maybe lay off the processed sugars and stuff. And, and I think you'd be surprised at how much better you might feel. I think the ultimate thing is the worst thing we can do is self-diagnose ourselves, right? So yeah. we talked about the DSM-5. We talked about, you know, WebMD and every all these other things. And, you know, yes, it's good. Go to the gym, work on your diet go for a walk, try to change your environment. But if you do these things and you still feel as if, okay, the world is still coming down on me. We need to figure out when's a good time to start talking to somebody. That's a really, really great point. So yeah, when when, uh, is the right time to seek help? And by the way, there is absolutely no shame in talking to a psychiatrist, a therapist, or for that matter, on getting on medication. I was incredibly resistant to getting on medication in the beginning. And uh, I, I kind of regret having been so resistant to it because it really ended up helping with my healing process. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, you know, is it an ideal thing? No, but you know, sometimes you just got to take a pill to kind of help regulate you a little bit and that can get you into a proper mindset for healing. So that's pretty much all I've got for this episode. Jack, what about you? No, this is really good. I mean, I really think we drank from the fire hose on this one a lot. Um, a lot of stuff happening, a lot of things going on. Uh, we try to flush it out just a little bit more, but you know, that's what this podcast, uh, what we created it for. And we're going to dive further into this and to other such things. Perfect. All right. That is The Only Wait is Up. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. And we will be back with another podcast really soon.